Welcome to the teaching ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Santa Maria, California. Join our pastors as they share biblical principles of God's transforming grace so that you may learn God's word in order to live God's way. Well, if you're new to Grace, uh, as you can see, we take joy very seriously. And the reason we do that is because when we have joy in the gospel, then God is glorified big time. When we say, God, that you have put more joy in my heart than the world has, when their wine and their grain abound, according to Psalm 4, then he is mightily glorified. So if you're a visitor, we want you to, to know that we are unashamedly in love with Jesus Christ and what he has done for us through his life, through his death, through his resurrection. So we take joy very seriously here. Please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, where we will see more of this joy that we've been singing about unfold as we look at this story, the Christmas drama unfolding before our eyes. We saw last week that God answered the prayers, two outdated prayers of two very old people, and Elizabeth, an old barren woman, suddenly became pregnant, and the angel Gabriel told Elizabeth that John the Baptist was growing inside her womb and that he would help usher in Jesus Christ, the Messiah's kingdom. That's what we saw last week. Uh, The story continues today. We're going to see what happens when God's mysterious ways invade the life of a pimple-faced teenager. So let's pray as we begin. Father, thank you so much for the joy that we have because of your son, Jesus Christ, and what he has done for us, God through his life, his perfect sinless life and his perfect death uh, on our behalf and his perfect resurrection, God. We thank you for the gospel hope. Thank you for your spirit, God, that you gave to us as a down payment uh, guaranteeing what is to come, which is new glorified bodies on the new earth, basking in your presence with joy ever increasing for eternity. Thank you for the hope of the gospel message. And God, thank you that you don't leave us to ourselves now, but that, Lord, you transform us by your grace until that day. We need your spirit, Father, now to open our eyes to see wonderful things out of your word. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. On a cold night in 1971, a man by the name of D.B. Cooper hijacked a plane in Washington, demanded $200,000 in a backpack with a few parachutes, and then he jumped out into the Washington night, never to be seen or heard from again. But some of the money popped up again in 1980 when one of my friends, who I met later in high school, uncovered 5,880 of those $20 bills along the Washington River. His family was there camping. He said, Dad, I want to smooth out the ground as little boys do. You've got to make the ground perfect to make a fire. He begins to smooth out the sand, and then up, up pops all these decaying $20 bills. And this family knew this isn't right. So they called the FBI. The FBI came in, examined the serial numbers, and said, this money was taken by this man named D.B. Cooper over nine years ago. And they said, here's what we're offering to you, uh, If you give us the money and sign over your rights, then you can collect all the reward money that has been sitting out there. And they said, you will gain gain so much more, hundreds of thousands of dollars more, if you sign over your rights and then you just collect the reward money. So they did. The FBI left. They came back out and they said, we're sorry, Mr. and Mrs. Ingram, but the statute of limitations on all those rewards has expired now. 
we really have nothing to offer you. Well, not to worry, though, the the Ingrams obtained lawyers and were soon reunited with their decaying $20 bills and their piece of history. And not only were they uh, proud owners of that, but because he was my friend in high school, I am now the proud owner of one of those decaying $20 bills that are part of American history. If you're remotely familiar with the story or interested, you can come up and look at it as well. Um, I'm not going to put it on eBay, even though he did over the last couple of years and made seven or $8,000 for that. So I'm going to hang on to it. But if you want to look at it, more important than this piece of paper are the, the papers in our Bible. And that's what we want to look at today. As we look at Luke chapter 1 today, many of the Israelites probably felt the same way, that the statute of limitations on all of the promises in the Old Testament had expired for, for hundreds of years. They've been waiting. These prophecies from Isaiah and Micah and Jeremiah saying the Messiah would come, that he would redeem Israel. He would set them free from their oppressors. He would draw the nations to himself to worship in Jerusalem forever, that he would restore the earth and make it new again. Israel has been waiting for this. And no doubt some people were beginning to wonder, has the statute of limitations expired on all of God's promises to us? Would the Messiah come? Would he usher in his kingdom that was spoken of by the prophets? In today's passage, we're going to see Mary and Elizabeth, and they will model for us what it means to await the Savior because we too, like them, are waiting on these promises that we heard earlier out of Revelation, that God is going to come again. The city of God, the new Jerusalem is going to come out of heaven to the earth. God's going to make everything new He's going to restore all of creation and we're going to worship him forever. And so we too are waiting like Elizabeth and Mary and the Israelites at this time saying, when are the promises of his coming going to be fulfilled? So they become a model for us today of how to await our Savior, Jesus Christ. How do we wait for him until he comes and sets up his kingdom upon the earth? It may be strange for us to look to Mary as an example, probably because we're reacting to the Catholic Church. Uh, Many seem to have regulated Mary to a a few poor mentions during the Christmas season, and you don't ever hear much from Mary. Probably because of our reaction to the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church um, places Mary in, in such prominence in their theology and in their belief systems. They believe in the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception, that Mary never partook of original sin, that she was born without sin. They also teach the perpetual virginity of Mary. They also teach the assumption of Mary, that when she had died, she ascended both body and spirit up to heaven. And then they teach that she intercedes for us. But Protestants like us have refuted these doctrines because they're not in Scripture, because they're not true. They're not supported by God's word. And so because of the emphasis that the Catholic Church has placed on Mary, many Protestants have pulled away from her. and said We're almost afraid to even talk about her. But Mary was the mother of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as we heard earlier in the reading, Gabriel tells her two times, you have found favor with God. So we will look at Mary today and we will look at Elizabeth. They will model for us what do disciples do as they await the Savior's arrival. 
our big idea today, and I try to make it memorable for you, is this. When you are surprised by God's mysterious ways, worship and gather and trust and obey. When you are surprised by the mysterious things that God is doing in your life, you need to remember that just like Mary and just like Elizabeth and just like the nation of Israel at this time, that God had a plan of salvation that he was accomplishing, even though they couldn't see it. That he was working redemption on behalf of his people. He has always been doing that. So whether it's Mary or Elizabeth, or us, we know that when we're surprised by God's mysterious ways and what he's doing in our lives that we don't understand, we know that he's working for his glory and for our good. Now look at verse 26 to 34 again. Let's see what unfolds in the Christmas drama. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, For you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? Now, the narrative that we saw last week with Elizabeth and Zechariah has now fast-forwarded six months into the future. Elizabeth is now six months pregnant, and the setting has changed. Now we are in the city of Nazareth. Luke says here that Gabriel, a messenger, was sent from God to Nazareth. I mean, it's staggering that an angel would come from the presence of a holy God to earth where sinful man is. But even more staggering than that is that an angel would come from the presence of the Lord and go to the town of Nazareth. Nazareth was in Galilee, probably scholars estimate a population of maybe 2,000 people at this time, but it was not an important city by any stretch of the imagination. Nazareth was as podunk and redneck as you get in Israel. Full of trailer parks, backwoods, and to back that up, I use Nathaniel's words in John 1.46 when Philip showed up and said, we found the Messiah. He's from Nazareth. And what does uh, Nathaniel say? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? So this is a backwoods, country, redneck town. We would expect the Lord to show up in Jerusalem, David's city. But yet he shows up in Nazareth. God is so mysterious, isn't he? You can't put him in a box. Could it be that the Messiah would come out of such a podunk place? Absolutely, because the Lord's ways are mysterious. Not only that, but we see Gabriel appearing to the Virgin Mary who was betrothed to Joseph. To understand the scenario, we have to understand what betrothal was like in the ancient Near East. It was kind of in between engagement and marriage. If you can imagine a whole nother 
system in there. You were, you were betrothed and, and, and committed to this person and nothing would sever that tie unless there was evidence of adultery on someone's part. And so this was a very serious relationship that Mary's in. She's probably in her teens, maybe 13, 14, maybe all the way up to 18 years old. I don't know. And she says that she is a virgin. She said, I had no sexual relations with Joseph. And the other gospel accounts prove this. In fact, when Joseph hears of this, he gets a little scared. And he's like, how can I get rid of this woman? She's pregnant and I haven't been with her. But verse 28, notice what Gabriel says to her. Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. How does Mary respond in verse 29? It says that she was greatly troubled. She couldn't figure out what was happening. Here's an angel coming from the presence of the Lord says, greetings, O favor one, and she's greatly troubled and trying to figure it out. It's like he appears and she's thinking, what are you going to do? You know, greetings, O favored one, Whoosh, you know, cut off her neck. She doesn't know what's happening. Here's an angel from the presence of the Lord, and he's calling her favored one. She's a teenage girl. She can't figure out what's happening. But Gabriel reassures her two times that she's found favor with God. How in the world... Does a teenage girl like this, a fallen sinner, find favor with the holy God? Look at verse, uh, don't turn there, but Hebrews eleven six says this. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. She had faith in Yahweh, the sovereign Lord. She trusted in him and so she found favor in his eyes. Was she a sinner? Absolutely. But she was walking before her Lord and serving him and fearing him. She is a model for you teenagers today, someone to look to and say, I want to be that kind of teenager who places their trust and their hope in Yahweh, who are walking in his commandments. Then Gabriel tells this unwed teenager that she is going to become pregnant, not by Joseph, but that God will cause her to be pregnant with a son. How controversial. A young, unmarried teenage girl with pimples and at that awkward time of her life is about to become pregnant with the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. Our God is mysterious, isn't he? Now, two things about the baby to be born to Mary. First, it says his name will be Jesus. Jesus means Yahweh is salvation. It's the Hebrew name Joshua. Did you know Joshua means that? Joshua means that Yahweh, Yah, saves. Shua, Yahshua, Yeshua. Jesus' name means Yahweh is salvation. And it's an appropriate name because we're all sinners here that we all need to be saved from God. By God, because we're all sinners and we've all spurned his way. We all deserve to die, to be banished from his presence forever. But God, out of his great love, sent Jesus, whose name means the Lord saves, to save us from his coming wrath. Second thing to notice about the baby is that Gabriel says he will reign on David's throne over the house of Jacob and his kingdom will have no end. All of these descriptions go back to 2 Samuel chapter 7 where the Lord Yahweh appeared to David and said, you will have a man on the throne forever. This is an everlasting throne, an everlasting kingdom. 
But if you read the Old Testament story after that, we see Solomon comes to the throne and then he turns away from the Lord. And then the nation is divided into Israel and Judah. And then you have good kings and bad kings. And then both Judah and Israel are carted off into captivity. And so all of these years, they've been under the oppression of the Babylonians and then the Persians and then the Syrians. And now they're under the oppression of the Romans. And Gabriel tells Mary, the child to be born to you will be the King David par excellence that the prophets spoke of, capital K, King David. He's talking about Jesus, that he will be the one who comes and redeems Israel. The promise given to David was some thousand years old at this point. So they've been waiting 1,000 years for the Messiah to come. It's been over 600 years since they even had a king on the throne And how does the Messiah, the Savior, Jesus Christ, show up? In an unwed, now pregnant, pimple-faced teenage Jewish girl in a redneck podunk town. God has not forsaken his people. He is faithful. And he is so mysterious. Now notice what Mary says in response to Gabriel's words. She will model for us that when you are surprised by God's mysterious ways, worship and gather and trust and obey. Look at verse 34. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. I mean, this is kind of the way I picture it. Mary is a young teenage girl, and I kind of picture her saying, okay, let me get this straight. I am going to be pregnant, even though I'm not married, and the baby to be born to me will be the Messiah. I believe you, but I just want to know how this will be since I am a virgin. And then Gabriel explains the mysterious and almost unbelievable process to her. He says, first, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and the power of God will overshadow you. There's no details here on how it will happen. He just says, God will do it. We need to learn something here. God is not necessarily interested in answering all of our curiosities. He's more interested in our worship. Notice that he doesn't tell Elizabeth, he doesn't pull out a science book and say, now this is what's going to happen to your body, this is how it's going to happen. None of that. Why? Because it's more important that we adore and worship God when we have questions than to try to have all of the answers and all of the information. You see, here's what happens in our life. God comes in some mysterious way and he's doing things in our lives and we don't understand what he's doing. Anybody in a situation right now in your life, you don't know what's going on. How many of you right now would love if God wrote you a letter or sent you an email and said, here's what I'm doing in your life. Trust me, anybody? Anybody? Would anybody not mind if you were taking a nap today and an angel showed up on the door and said, God wanted me to tell you that to explain the confusing situation of your life. Would anybody mind being awakened from a nap to hear that? See, it's human nature. We want to know. See, God is always doing mysterious things in our lives, and we don't know why he's doing it, and he doesn't always tell us. 
Why? Because God is not interested in answering all of our questions and all of the curiosities that we have. He's interested in our worship. He wants to see, will you worship me no matter what's happening in your life, even if I seem silent, even if you don't have all the questions answered, even if you don't have all of your curiosities satisfied. Don't go looking for answers. Look for God. We are saved by grace through faith, not reason. And so, so many times the Christmas drama begins to unfold in our life as we have drama in our life and we wonder, God, what are you doing right now? Worship him, trust him, obey him. Don't try to find out all the answers. Trust me, he's got it all under control. He was doing fine before you were born. Okay, He's, He can handle it. Just trust him. Secondly, Gabriel says, the son of God will be born to you. He will be holy and set apart. He says, he's going to be the God man, Jesus Christ. Fully God, fully man, two natures united in one person. Notice that Mary doesn't start asking questions. She says, how will this be? But she doesn't say, would you please open a PowerPoint for me, Gabriel, and kind of explain all the details of what's going to happen to me and to my body. How is this going to happen? She doesn't. She says, how will this be since I'm a virgin? He says, the power is going to come upon you. She's like, okay, I'm okay with it. Then Gabriel tells her, your old barren relative Elizabeth is six months pregnant. And then he tells her, because nothing is impossible with God. Literally, verse 37 says, no utterance or no word shall be impossible with God. Not one of his words, not one of his promises fail. What's very interesting is that Jesus' name is the Hebrew name for Joshua. In the Old Testament, in the book of Joshua, two times we read the phrase that none of the promises of God fell, F-E-L-L, meaning his promises were always standing. They were always true. And here he tells almost the same language to Mary, saying none of God's words fall to the ground. None of his promises fall to the ground. Anything that God has promised, no matter how unlikely it looks, will come to pass. Now, how does Mary respond? Look at verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Mary responded with trust and obedience. Literally, she says, I'm a slave girl of the Lord. She's laying her life down at her Lord's bidding. Whatever you say, Lord, I submit. I don't understand all that's happening, but I submit and I worship. And there are many times in your life, and maybe you have some right now, where you don't understand what is happening. And you just have to say, God, I don't understand, but I submit. I'm your servant. And I worship you. You're charting the course of my life. You're orchestrating all of the details and the affairs of my life. So I submit to you. Paul Benoit says in his commentary on Luke, it can be stated then that Mary was a young girl who had learned to trust in God and in his revealed word. Her trust in God is also revealed in her reaction to the message from God through the angel. When informed that she was to be the mother of the Messiah, she submitted herself to the will of God, even though she had questions as to how it would be accomplished. See, Mary models for us what it means to respond to God when we encounter his mysterious ways. She knows she'll be questioned and scorned. She knows Joseph might kick her to the curb. 
She knows that the National Enquirer will have a field day with her story. And what does she do? She banks her trust in God. See, there are times in our lives when we encounter God's mysterious ways and we don't know what he's doing. And we want questions, we want answers to our questions. And we want our curiosities satisfied. And we look at Mary and see that she teaches us to trust in the Lord and in his word that is given to us. And in his word in Romans eight twenty eight, we have the promise that we all know that he works all things together for our good. So whatever you're going through right now, doesn't seem like there's any good in it. He's working it for your good. God is always working salvation and redemption for his people through all of the situations of their lives. What we need to do is to trust him. It's like the old song, which I think is a picture of discipleship. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be what? Happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. I mean, that's what you kind of scale discipleship down to. Will you trust the Lord? Will you obey him? You can trust him because many of you here have trusted the Lord for your eternal salvation. I mean, you've put all of the eggs into Jesus' basket. You are trusting him right now to say, I believe you died for me. You rose again and you're coming again. I believe that I am born again. Without a doubt, I believe it. It is true. So many of you have trusted him. And if you can trust him for your eternal salvation, can you not trust him for whatever situation is happening in your life? You trusted him for eternal salvation. Can't you trust him for a temporary situation? You can because he's good and he's always working redemption and salvation for his people just like he was doing for Mary and Elizabeth and the nation of Israel. When you are surprised by God's mysterious ways and you don't know what's going on, worship and gather and trust and obey. You see, the Messiah was entering entering the world so controversially here. A pregnant, unwed teenage girl with pimples in a small podunk town in Galilee. Isn't it great that the Lord is so unpredictable? He goes against human wisdom. He's not politically correct. You may not understand all that God is doing in your life, but you're called to trust him and you're called to obey. Listen, teenagers, you may not understand why you have to obey your parents, but you're called to trust you're called to obey. Singles, you may be wondering, hey, I, I want to get married. I want my life to get going here. And, and no one's coming along. Trust him. Obey. Whatever situation you find yourself in, where you're kind of confused and surprised by, God, what are you doing in this situation? He calls you to trust him and to obey him. He also calls us to gather together with other believers, which is what we're going to see in verses 39 through 45. Look there. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she claimed, exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. For why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Now we switch scenes and we find Mary traveling some 70 miles to the house of Elizabeth. And what is her reason for going to see Elizabeth? 
because Elizabeth would understand her. You have a pregnant, pimple-faced teenager who's never been with a man. Who's going to understand her best than some old lady who was barren and is suddenly pregnant? But what unites them? It's the Messiah. It's the Savior, Jesus Christ, that is the common thread that brings them together. And there's joy when they do, because when Mary enters the house and Elizabeth hears her voice, this is John the Baptist, leaped for joy. And the Holy Spirit came upon her. But notice this about Elizabeth. She's not complaining that Mary got to be the one who carried the Messiah. She's not saying, well, why do you get to carry the Messiah? And I just get John the Baptist. None of that. Maybe if Mary or Elizabeth had known that John the Baptist would grow up and be all grungy and look like Forrest Gump and live in the desert and eat locusts and wild honey, she might have complained. But here she's not. She's worshiping and there's joy because of the Messiah, Jesus. That's their common bond. Now, a couple of things about them gathering together. It's a picture of fellowship. So when I say you're surprised by God's mysterious ways, gather together. I'm saying gather with unbelievers because, I mean, with believers, because this is what Mary and Elizabeth do. First, notice that their fellowship is awkward. You have an old, old lady who is pregnant and who could never have kids and a teenager covered with pimples who's never been with a man and she's pregnant. See how awkward that is, the age difference here? I'm sure Elizabeth would have grabbed Mary's iPod and been like, wow, you listen to this? And I'm sure Mary wouldn't have looked at Elizabeth and said, oh, that's such a cute dress you're wearing. She wouldn't have liked her style of clothing. You see how awkward their fellowship is? But it's biblical fellowship because they're centered around their Savior, Jesus Christ, not their own personal interest. See, the... the, 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 the uh, experts say, don't mix the age groups. You can't get together. Don't mix by, together by culture or, or anything like that. They say, you know, separate into, into your own personal interests, and then you'll have true fellowship. This is a picture of biblical fellowship because Jesus Christ is their bond. You see, what should unite us is Jesus, not our clothes or our musical tastes or our age or our race or our culture. It should be Jesus that brings us together, and it brought them together. Second thing to notice about their fellowship is that it was spontaneous. It wasn't structured. It wasn't planned by the Messiah Committee. Okay, now, Mary, you must travel and go see your relative Elizabeth. It's spontaneous. She goes and seeks Elizabeth out. And it's a picture for us that we may have structured times of fellowship here, like right now and Wednesday night and small groups, but get together on your own. Don't wait for us to plan your event. And call somebody up on the phone and say, do you want to come over and eat dinner? How come? Because we both like Jesus. Okay, sounds good to me. Let it be spontaneous. And say, we both love the same God. Why don't we get together? Thirdly, their fellowship is submitted to the Lord. In verse 43 and 45, Elizabeth, Elizabeth says, the mother of my Lord. And then she says, she who believed what was spoken to her from the Lord. So their fellowship is submitted to the Lord. They recognize his sovereignty. And then it's joyful. Verse 44 says, The baby in Elizabeth's belly leaped for joy. And you catch the tone of joy in Elizabeth's words here. Their fellowship was joyful. And our fellowship should be joyful, shouldn't it? I heard a pastor say this. We have plenty of Roseanne Christians running around, sourpuss believers who act like Christians should drink prune juice and eat liver all the time. We've got enough of those Christians running around. Shouldn't we be the happiest people on the planet? 
because we've been reconciled to God. We need to be like the famous preacher of old, George Whitfield. It was reported that a woman was so impressed with Whitfield's happy demeanor that she told someone, Mr. Whitfield was so cheerful that it tempted me to become a Christian. It's the kind of people we should be. Why? Because it's the gospel. And what does gospel mean? Good news. Not so-so news. Not, eh, if you like it, okay, sure, if it works for you. No, it's good news because sinners like us can be reconciled to a holy God because of Jesus Christ's life and death and resurrection. That is good news, and that should make the heart leap for joy. We have a common Redeemer, and when we come together, we should be the happiest people on the planet. So when you're surprised by God's mysterious ways, worship and gather and trust and obey. In verses 46 through 56, we'll see Mary uh, burst out here in song. She says, it says, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with Elizabeth about three months and then returned to her home. How does Mary respond to all of this, these mysterious ways that are happening in her life? She worships. And she gives us the reason why she worships in her hymn here. It's because of God's grace has come to her. She says, verse 46 through 49, she's a humble, lowly, teenage Jewish girl. And yet the sovereign God has come down to her. In verse 50 through 54, she praises the Lord for his mercy and his intervention in the lives of his people. And here's what's so interesting. She uses these past time verbs to describe events that are yet future. Because the Messiah, Jesus, is just starting to grow in her womb. So he hasn't accomplished redemption yet, but it's such a certainty that she can speak in the past tense. And say it's already been accomplished because of God's word. See, God's promises are certain so that these future events are spoken of in past time because of God and his power and his promises. These promises, as verse 55 say, go all the way back to Abraham some 2,000 years. They're waiting for these promises given to Abraham to be fulfilled. And the process is starting now as Jesus Christ is growing in Mary's womb. They were waiting for the Messiah to be born. And we are waiting too for Jesus, the Messiah, to come back and to set up his kingdom upon the earth, the new earth, where we will be with him forever. How do we wait? How do we wait for him? When we see God's mysterious ways, when God's doing things in our lives and we're saying, God, I don't know what you're doing. Why is this happening to me? God, what is going on in my life? When you encounter God's mysterious ways, worship him and gather together with other believers who can help you and trust him and obey him. See, the Christmas drama is so mysterious 
that God would come to the earth through his son Jesus Christ, the God-man. He's fully God and fully man. He's 100% God and 100% man. And those two natures are united in one person. It doesn't get any more mysterious than that. But we're called to worship, and to have faith and to trust and to believe. We don't get all of our questions answered. And Mary didn't get all of her questions answered. And neither did Elizabeth, but we're called to trust. We don't have to know how it works. We don't have to know how God could come upon a virgin and cause her to have a baby. We don't have to have the answers to that. We don't have to have the answers to how can Jesus be fully God and yet fully man and those two natures are united together in one person. We don't need to have all the answers. We don't need to have all of our curiosities satisfied. We don't need a scientific explanation. We accept it by faith and not by reason because we are a people of faith. This Christmas season, If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, I would call you to turn from your sins, to fess up and to admit you've not lived God's ways, and then to trust and have faith and to believe that Jesus Christ did what you could not do, which is live a perfect life to bring you to God. For those of you who are Christians, this Christmas season, I would call you to worship him and to trust him and to obey him and to gather around other believers to worship and trust and obey him. May God give us grace to do that. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your grace and your mercy that you've shown to us, your lowly servants, God. We're fallen, sinful man, and we've spurned your ways, and yet out of your great love, God, you have sent Jesus to save us, The Lord saves Jesus, the Messiah. And God, we thank you for that. I pray for this church body, God, as there are many people going through many things. They're experiencing your mysterious ways and they question and they doubt and they wonder what you're doing. Would you help them not to just seek answers, but to seek you, to trust in you, to worship you, to obey you, We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Our hope is that today's message empowers you by God's grace to live God's way. For more information, visit us online at gracebath.net.